What does it mean to belong? How does it feel to belong? How long does it take to belong? Is belonging important to us? For a moment, bring to mind a group or a place where you know you belong. Imagine yourself there. Got it? How does it feel? A little anecdote about belonging. Several years ago, David Rumpelsmucker contacted me and asked me if I'd be willing to teach Sunday school for our high school youth. Hmm, I thought, an interesting idea for sure, but what would it be like? I agreed to give it a try, and I visited the class the week before I was scheduled to teach for the first time. Well, initially, I tried to visit the class. As people filtered into their classrooms, and I tried a variety of stairs and doors, I realized I had no idea where the youth room was. Quick, I grabbed one of the stragglers who might know, and sure enough, I got good directions. You have to go around the side of the building, through a gate, through a door, up some steps, zigzag a few times, and then you enter the youth lair. The winding journey heightened my sense of being in an unfamiliar place, of being an outsider. Do I belong here? Ron Adams was getting ready to lead the class. Henry and Shelby and Darren and Jessica and Trenton and Kevin were sitting or slouching on two couches, and George was totally lounged out on a beanbag chair on the floor hammering a bag of Twizzlers with some help from some others. Do you want one, he asked me. I had time to say sure, and the licorice was flying through the air. I reached out my hand and caught it. It was a simple gesture, but it said, hey, come on in. You belong here. The Ethiopian eunuch in our story today likely faced many more instances of rejection and discrimination than welcome, acceptance, and belonging as he made his way in the world. Was he born into a village that loved all its children, only to be captured in some war, enslaved, castrated, and put to work in the service of the ruler, in this case, the queen? He had worked his way up in palace service to be in charge of the entire ro royal treasury, a position of great responsibility, and I imagine a lot of risk, too. But his ambiguous gender forced him into a separate, and tightly socially controlled category that gave him the constant message, you don't belong. Before we go any further, with a show of hands, how many of you recall hearing a sermon before on this passage? And with the same sign, how many of you recall hearing a sermon on the passage that was read before this, Beloved, let us love one another from 1 John. I was drawn to the Acts text because it seems rather absent in my memories of worship services, and since only about five of you raised your hand, in your memories as well. And when I began studying it, I had a difficult time finding resources written on it. At the same time, I couldn't imagine what I could possibly say that would be new or different about let us love one another. So I chose the Acts passage. Back to the text with a few notes that situate the story. The reference to Ethiopia may actually refer to the area that is present-day Sudan, not present-day Ethiopia. 
And it could be that Philip was told to go out about noontime rather than told to take a particular road headed south. But as we look at the details, let's think in terms of the story rather than of facts. Clarice Martin, who wrote the chapter on Acts in Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza's commentary, Searching the Scriptures, helped me make this shift. She encourages the reader to think of the author Luke, quote, more like a painter whose broad canvas seeks to elicit a response rather than like a photographer whose product is a technically accurate likeness. So Luke's trying to elicit a response. He's trying to get the goat of the reader, so to speak. I don't know if it's this way for you, but when something shocks me, it's usually etched in my mind for some time. The author may be angling to shock the reader into a new understanding. Let's see. Luke is writing somewhere between the years 70 and 90 CE. He introduced us to the apostle Philip in chapter 6 where Philip is named as one of seven selected by the growing church to carry out a caring ministry that involves distributing food to those who need it. Earlier in chapter 8, the chapter that we're focused on, Philip fled the violence that followed Stephen's death by going to Samaria. The narrative mentions not a word about how despised Samaritans were in Jewish eyes. Instead, it describes Philip's preaching and healing ministry among eager crowds that soaked up the good news. The story ends with, so there was great joy in the city. So when we get to the latter part of chapter 8 that we're focusing on this morning, we know that Philip has experience with crossing boundaries and expanding the notion of who belongs in God's family. In our story, Philip returns returns in Luke's narrative in a stylized way, responding to an angel of the Lord's prompting that calls to mind other Bible characters who responded to God's call in that way. It alerts us that the encounter that follows is God's doing. The Ethiopian eunuch heads home after a visit to Jerusalem, and he was there for the express purpose of worshiping God. Now, we don't know if he was a God-fearing Gentile or if he was a Jew, but we can be fairly sure about what kind of welcome he got when he got to the temple and that would be no welcome at all. He came to worship, but Deuteronomy 23.1 makes it very clear that anyone who is a eunuch cannot enter the temple. Philip has put himself in the place that he believes God called him to, and he sees the eunuch in his chariot, reading aloud from Isaiah. The spirit prompts him to go over to the chariot, and he asks if the eunuch understands what he's reading. The response how can I unless someone guides me, is another clue that he had been excluded from instructional settings related to sacred scripture. He invites Philip into the chariot for conversation. Now the specific passage he's reading is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. It's about someone denied justice and humiliated. Who is this person, the eunuch asks. Is it the prophet who knows the suffering who knows the pain of injustice and humiliation? Or is he speaking of someone else? Do you catch the connection here between the scripture and the eunuch's own experience? Philip sits with him and describes the Isaiah text through the lens of Jesus' life, suffering, death, and resurrection. He proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus, verse 35 says. 
Rita Haldeman Finger in the Gather Around curriculum for today says, Philip links Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 to the crucified Jesus. He surely also would have explained the servant song of Isaiah 56, 1 to 8, where eunuchs who maintain justice should not say, I'm just a dry tree. They will receive a name better than sons and daughters that shall not be cut off. Now, when I step back and survey the action so far, I notice that there's quite a bit of spiritual orienteering going on here. Orienteering, of course, is a sport and a survival skill. It involves a person going from one place to another using various tools and signs in nature to point the way, to orient them in the direction that they ultimately want to head, to get to their goal. I first heard this metaphor from Arthur Bors, who uses it to describe how a pastor and a congregation work together on the walk of faith. In this spirit-inspired encounter, Philip and the Ethiopian court official recognize new points that orient them on their spiritual journeys. The good news that assures and animates the eunuch elicits this question from him. What prevents me from being baptized? He's excited about the possibilities. The way seems clear enough, but he's wondering if there are any more hidden obstacles. Anything that will bring rejection and humiliation when he reaches out to take what he knows is rightly his, acceptance and full participation in the people of God. The answer to the question, what prevents me? Nothing. And Philip and the eunuch enter the baptismal waters together. Remember, Philip has just come from a successful mission to the Samaritans. Now, in the water, as he baptizes the eunuch, he declares that God's long arm of welcome stretches even beyond his Jewish half-siblings to include his new friend, a black African Gentile. When the two men recognize that God binds them together into the same body of believers, the spirit has accomplished her purpose, and she snatches Philip away. The eunuch continues on his way, rejoicing. So what is it about this wonderful border-crossing story that has caused most of the commentary authors in mainstream Western biblical societies, biblical studies, to shy away from it? Could it be because it troubles the categories of social status based on gender and race? A person who did not fit the gender expectations for either a man or a woman belongs. And you know, if the eunuch in this story is Gentile, he, a black African, represents the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Cornelius and family appear later in Acts. Well, what to say in closing? How about these familiar words from 1 John 4 that I thought I chose not to focus on? Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God.